Welcome to This is for the CV, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. This is a podcast by Anthony and Rebecca, two professors in communication and political science, chatting about politics, pop culture, and the things in between. This week, we talk about being fully vaccinated, the Johnson & Johnson pause, and getting back to some of America's normal problems like shootings, voting restrictions, and corporations as people. Hello, Anthony. Hello, Rebecca. How's it going? Good. (laughs) Things are good. How are you? Good. An aggressive good. Um, I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm personally really good. And then I'm also like, well, with, you know, the repeat of our country with the same problems we've always had. But uh, personally, I'm very good. You, you, I mean... Thinking about that is like wondering if the sun gonna come up. Like you know, to quote Omar in the Wire, it's like, look, man, mm-hmm. this is, you know, mass shootings and people getting killed by the police, black, white, and like you know, hey, yeah, that ain't that ain't nothing new. It's it's summertime. Well, it's like it got warmer, and we're getting like we're coming somewhat to an end of a pandemic. So it's. We're back to same old systemic problems. I mean, the cliche that everybody been saying as these vaccines been rolling out is, oh, I can't wait to get back to normal. I'm like, yeah. And and this is back to normal. Like, this, this is back is, to normal. Mass this is normal. It's what normal look like. Yeah. Police killing unarmed black men. Mm, it's normal. Yeah. The reaction to it is not normal. But. Okay. That's really interesting. What's different for you? Like from your, your chair. What are you seeing different? Well, what's different? The most, the the thing that's the most different is you got people who are putting the burden on the person with the deadly weapon, mm-hmm. and not putting yeah. the burden on the person to prove how righteous they are for why they should or should not have got shot, and that's a big difference. And how that narrative is being framed mm-hmm. and, ha- and how the police have to respond to those questions as opposed to questions about what the quote unquote perpetrator was doing at the time of stop. Right, right. It's like, oh, she's already fired. Oh, she's already been charged. That's really different. And the video that came out of the soldier who was detained in Virginia, granted, that didn't happen recently, but he's suing. No. And so those that discovery has been you know released and so um but those officers are fired or at least the the main one the the one who sprayed him in the face with pepper spray so yeah do that, we, do that we piece know if they different. were fired in december or did they get fired once the footage came out? that's a good question my assumption was the latter but i could be wrong i don't know that's a okay. very good question we should look into that or i mean i can do that but um yeah and then I think you're right in terms of, you know, the public opinion discourse, like, well, you had a warrant. People are like, who cares? Guilty people shouldn't be executed either, right? Like, even if they had a reason to detain him, that's not how that works. And then, of course, it came out that, like, he it was a possession of marijuana charge. He pled guilty, and he was on a payment plan. 
right? Like, and the pandemic hit and they sent his court summons to the wrong address. So like things that happen to a lot of people, but even if it wasn't that minor and that like, you know, forgivable and understandable still doesn't mean that you shoot somebody. And so I think you're right that the victim doesn't have to be perfect. Um, and so that, that burden of like a terrified person with this whole history on them to say that this situation is dangerous for you does shouldn't have the burden of de-escalation. That's on the person who chose to stop the civilian and has the weapon and, and has the training and knows how to de-escalate. So I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm seeing it that there's been a shift, but I hope that that is what we eventually shift to. Like the burden isn't on the person who is being detained. Yeah, the first time I saw the video, I'm looking and I'm like, okay, because it, 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 it comes on and he's outside of the car already with his hands behind his back and they're cuffing him. And I'm like, okay, wait, so they're about to shoot this dude like right here in broad day and, and, and you keep watching and then there's like some type of commotion and then he tried to jump back in the car and then, you know, they're trying to get him out the car and then the, the officer screaming out, taser, taser, taser. And then she lets one fly and then she starts cursing and talking about, oh, no, I shot him. And then he takes off and then everybody's just standing there like, what just happened right now? Mm. And, and you know, you see that and I'm like, OK, I ain't going to sit up here and say that I know that this woman had murder in her heart. Yeah, that ain't what I'm trying to say. Now, they didn't charge her with murder. Have fun trying to convict her of murder, given that video. But. Um, I think it's like a uh, second degree manslaughter is the charge. Ha- have fun getting a jury to, to co-sign that like maybe in this climate, but I'm, I don't even know. But a 25 year vet got to know the difference between the weight of a taser and the weight of a Glock nine. You know, she again, another person who was training some officers, mm-hmm. you was there to train, you know, she was there in a training capacity and this is how you train the people to act. And it's like, man, you know, now you hear the whole, why didn't he just comply crowd? And it's like, since when does resisting arrest equal a death sentence? Mm-hmm. Just tell me that. Just tell me when you can resist arrest and we shoot you, you shoot you for that. Like, I don't care what he did. Right. It, it's not a And he's death not lunging sentence. at them. He doesn't have a weapon. He's cuffed. He's trying to get away because he's afraid, right? Like that's, that's different than any reason to use deadly force. Um, yeah. And I think, so like a couple things come to mind when I'm hearing you talk in terms of like what the arguments are, it's either like, you have to know the difference between the taser and the gun. And if you don't, that's a problem, or that's just a BS excuse that we made up after the fact, or it's like all the training in the world doesn't matter if you're in an emergency situation, which means, okay, more training is not going to fix the problem then, because if that's what a trainer does, in a situation, then why do we keep prescribing the exact same policy remedy to a systemic problem? Oh, just dump a couple more million dollar buckets of training into the problem and then we'll see if it fixes it. And of course it doesn't. We, we've talked about this before. Like- we have, everyone in the country has. It's, and I think that's why people are tired particularly people who feel it deeply and personally it's like here we go again and because it's like re-traumatizing and exhausting 
Like it's, it's frustrating for me. It's upsetting for me from a place of empathy, but I don't feel it like, you know, black moms do when their kids go outside or something. Like I don't, it's not like a, every time you hear a story, here we go again. And you have to worry about your own kids. These are different experiences, just totally different realities two people in the same country are living just by what's happening on the news. Yeah, so you bring up an interesting point about what we internalize and what we Mm. carry with us. So I was talking to a friend of mine after January 6th, and he was talking about how, you know, personal responsibility dictates that these people got to face the music for their actions, but that doesn't have a blanket effect on Trump supporters writ large or on white people writ large because those are those people. And they acted how they acted, and they're not a reflection on him. And I'm like, I'm glad that you can live your life, you can live your life in a manner where you don't feel like your race is a reflection of you. But I watched January 6th, and mm-hmm. the two black people I saw in there, I was mortified to see them there because I'm like, see, this ain't good for us. And when I see black people getting killed by the police, I see myself because mm-hmm. it doesn't really much matter what kind of titles or what kind of car, or what kind of whatever you in. Or military ac- uniform. Right, military uniform. If you run across the wrong officer on the wrong day with the wrong state of mind, they could wreck your whole situation. It don't matter what, 10 and 2, yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to comply. Like, it don't matter if you run into, you know, I, I would never put this woman that killed that dude yesterday in the Derek Chauvin category. Like if you run into a Derek Chauvin, like that's a whole nother set of sociopath. That's outrageous. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that, that that's not no heat of the moment. That there wasn't no remorse. There was that was just like, yeah, he he moving. Uh, yeah, we we going to make sure he's not. And that like to equate those two things is not like that that's not even on the same planet. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but you you don't have the I mean, privilege is a word that people cringe at, but you don't have the privilege of disassociating and not internalizing it. Or some of us can be like, oh, when we see white people doing things, we don't feel like it's a reflection of us or that we have any responsibility to call it out. Whose responsibility would it be more than other white people, you know, to like get ourselves in check if a group of people is causing harm? Because we ask everybody else to do it. We're like, what about black on black crime? You know, things like that, those disingenuous arguments, but you don't hear people saying like, what about white on white crime? What about holding, you know, yourselves accountable? Agree on all points. But it, that, that's not for my generation. That's not for my kids' generation. It's going to be- I hear I you. Mean, maybe one day people people feel like they can just float through and not really think about it. But it's not, it's not something that, it's not something that you're allowed to let go. You're reminded. Mm-hmm. You're reminded, and if and if and if people think that you're feeling yourself a little bit too much, like I still marvel at the fact LeBron James moved to California. They sprayed it. They spray painted the N word on his garage, <laughs> and it's like, whoa! LeBron it's like, dude, it's LeBron James over here, man. He coming to play for the Lakers, man. He got all the money in the world. Y'all spray just, just hey, welcome to the neighborhood. Let, let me let me let you know who you are and what you are. It's like, man, that's mm. crazy. But he had to look at that, paint that over, talk to his kids about that. Think about that and then go sleep in that bed. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. But that's America. And Joe Biden keeps talking about this isn't who we are. I'm like, who what what world you looking at, man? This is who we are. We need to own that. You want us to be, but it is who we are. (laughs) This is this isn't who we are. We're better than that. 
Man, the rhetoric, the words are better than that. But the actions, you know, we're still working on Yeah. So my take is often, like, there aren't simple, well, sometimes there are simple answers, but there usually aren't, like, super simple overnight answers to, you know, systemic complex problems. But the this isn't who we are isn't working. So from someone like me, I think it's, like, we have to be, like, this is who we are. This is, like what a group of us are and whose responsibility is it to try to change that? Well, probably the people who don't have to think about it and worry about it all the time and have that mantle. Maybe it's time for the rest of us to take it up and try to change things. Um, because usually it's the like most privileged voices in the room that actually get the, you know, the mic, mic and the podium, maybe use that for good. Get off of social media, <laughs> talk to your family try to change policy, but I'd like to think that policy is always the answer, but policy doesn't dictate what's in our, you know, hearts and minds. I had a student who was saying that like the media, I guess their point was the media keeps getting in the way of policy and there's no, there's no space for Americans to have debate anymore because how we should think about things is already being prefed to us in our respective corners, whichever silo we're in. And it's like these lawmakers, it's not good for any lawmaker to have what they're working on and what they have to compromise on in a representative democracy to be pulled apart, twisted and soundbited on show after show. Mm -hmm. But that's what the show needs so it can sell advertising to these companies to have a 24-7 program on. Right. So they're going to be pulled apart. Like this real life, hard scrabble stuff that we have to do to push the ball forward. Right. Has been turned into fodder for entertainment. And people who aren't paying attention and are just looking and watch the news for 30 minutes a day, they're like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to think about that 500 page bill. Right, right. But there's no way to know. Like, there's no. They're not reading it for themselves. No, and neither am I. But I I at least give the, I'm at least willing to say that these law, like, there's plenty of lawmakers in Washington that don't care about publicity and aren't running for anything else and just want to work. The names you, you know, the names you never hear. Exactly. It's the same 35 people on TV all the time. There's a reason for that. They run for something, they raising money, they raising their profile. That's what they're doing. Uh-huh. Everybody else is trying to work. And they're like, oh man, will you get off TV, fill in the blank, right? Like, we over here in the conference room, we saved a sandwich for you. Get off of TV and come work. No, I mean, I think it's a great point your student makes. And I don't think, I mean, we can't dictate the solution, which is like, make those programs go away. <laughs> If we stopped watching them, but who's going to do it? We like the glittery mayhem of it all. Obviously, we've shown that to be true. But, yeah, making laws and compromise is often not something that you get praised for. The mm-hmm. word bipartisan in front of something means that potentially both MSNBC and Fox News will cover it in, in a damning light rather than right. just one side. So you get right. double the hate. Right. Yeah. Uh, did you see... Biden's tweet, and I'm sorry, not Biden's tweet. It was about Biden not tweeting. Um, Cornyn's tweet. Nope. He had a bad hot, hot take. <laughs> Let's look it up right quick. 
because the press secretary was asked about it. So Senator Cornyn tweeted, what, two days ago? The president is not doing cable news interviews. Tweets from his account are limited, and when they come, unimaginably conventional. The public comments are largely scripted. Biden has opted for fewer sit-down interviews with mainstream outlets and reporters. And then he follows that up with suggesting that, like, he's not really in the driver's seat. Hmm. The press secretary was asked about that, and she said something along the lines of, I assure you, he's not retweeting conspiracy theories, but he's working to help the American people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a softball. (laughs) That was a softball. But it goes to your point that, yeah, he's he's not out there on cable news interviews, because why would he be? I'm I'm the president. I have all the attention anybody could ever need. There is an, a national pandemic, actually, right. that we're trying to get vaccines They, they pay me plenty of attention. They, matter of fact, an army of people follow me around, wondering what I do every day. <laughs> right. Every right. time There's I step out of my house, corps. it's news. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, everything I do is news, so. Stepping away from social media is perhaps the best it's use wonderful. of a platform. It's wonderful. I mean, and it makes press work a little harder. They actually have to get some interviews. They have to ask for comments. Do your job. Rather than, exactly, that's what I mean, rather than just saying like, oh, look, the president tweeted. Right. No. <laughs> and that's it. No, I'm Oh, and then this here. person not, retweeted, no. and then this person commented again. No. Mm-hmm. No, that's over. And thank goodness. I'm good with that. Speaking of over, I'm going to see my parents this weekend. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, now that we've got that two shots and both my parents have had theirs long enough to be at like, you know, their peak level of protection. So, yeah. You going up there? They coming down here? I'm going to go up there. Beautiful. Yeah. I know they're hyped. Yeah. Talked to them today. Got it all confirmed. My mom was like, can I cook anything special? I was like, no, I don't care about that. (laughs) No, you don't need to cook anything. I would have been been like, what, Ma? All right, I got the menu. Well, I'm really glad that you asked to have a list. (laughs) Five-course meal from the top. Ah, yeah. Yeah, but that'll be good. You know she's going to cook, though. You know this. She will, of course, cook. (laughs) Of course she will. I mean, she's so sick of cooking because, you know, it's all, all they've done, but. She'll, I know she'll still do it because I told her not to. So, <laughs> I mean, specifically she will, but she lets me cook sometimes. She's not too like, you know, how some people's kitchen, if you went in there and tried to cook in it, they would take offense. Oh, sure. And be like, uh, excuse me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's not that way. Well, let's talk about the fact that we're both vaccinated now. Let's do that. We are. Mm. How's that feel? Glorious thing. Feels great. Mm-hmm. I text you that I felt kind of emotional after. Felt a little misty eyed in the car. It's like, whew, okay. Oh, feel hopeful. Yes. I mean, the 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 clinic was run beautifully. Agreed. S- seamless. Yep. I mean, the folks at Ascension and Co- McClinic Community College, you know, you can't. You, you got to give credit where credit is due. 100%. They, was running they did amazing. Well oiled. And they paid for a an EMT to be out there um, oh, in the that. front. Yeah, if you like in the front entrance, if you came in that way, they had an ambulance out there just in case anybody had side effects so mm. that they'd have someone like emergency crew on the scene. Nice. I've heard really different results. So when Ben went to go get his, he got Moderna. So unfortunately, we won't have the same chip in our head. So I don't know that we'll be able to talk to each other. 
which is probably for the best. You know, you need some autonomy. We're joking. This is in jest. It's a joke. <laughs> as much as that doesn't need to be said, it needs to be said. So thank you. <laughs> We're kidding. Um, he was out in literally two minutes. Oh, dang. He walked in. They gave him the shot. They were like, have you ever had an allergic reaction to a vaccine before? He said no. They were like, goodbye. And he got back in his car. Nice. They don't even make you wait or anything. So all sorts of different, uh, you know, and he was fine. So it turned out to be a fine decision. But I like the little extra bit of caution from MCC having the ambulance out there just in case. They told me that we could sign a waiver if we wanted to just walk out. Oh, maybe that's the part of what he signed. And they asked us to wait. I also appreciate it while we were there. I don't know if you had this experience when you were in the waiting room because you were there earlier than me. There were people aggressively taking medical advice. So the the nurse who gave me my shot was like, oh, just keep your arm moving and it'll be less sore. Uh, I almost got decked because this man was like punching the air so aggressively oh, no. as I walked by. And then some like three people in there were just rowing while they were waiting. They had like a book out and they were just going to town like they were <laughs> rowing a boat. And I was like, you know what? I, I actually appreciate that you're aggressively following medical advice. I'll just put that in the win column. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, at the first shot, I only saw like one person I knew in the, in the, in the waiting room. So Oh yeah, I, mean, I had Nicole in him. the waiting room with You had who? With me. Nicole. Oh, okay. Our student, yeah. So yeah. we chatted. But that was it. Yeah, yeah. Like, but the second time, I seen plenty of people like that I work with or knew or whatever. Like the dude that nice. gave me this poster behind my my oh, head. Yeah. Like yeah. I seen him. I'm like, Jerry, what up, man? The only other Dodger fan in Waco. I'm like, what up, man? <laughs> What's going on? Thanks other. for that Vin Scully, right? And I see I seen Amanda in there. We chopped it up. Oh, I seen yeah, yeah. uh you know, my kids value. daycare center director. And so it's like, you know, try to get the inside dope about what they're doing and what they're not doing. And, you know, when he's coming back and all that. Right, right. It was just good to see people. Right? I know. I've noticed that when I am out in public in any kind of capacity, which is still very limited, it's like, oh, I don't like people, but I don't like crowds. And that's always been the case. But it's great to see people you actually know mm-hmm. genuinely like like mm-hmm. oh no that part's great mm-hmm. yep for sure and then getting off of these zoom classes is gonna be glorious you got your schedule for the fall already mm-hmm. what you teaching public opinion and civil rights and liberties oh, con nice. law class mm-hmm. oh, okay so i'll have a face-to-face section in waco for both and a distance section for both as well for like truly online students. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that, which is always kind of the tightrope act, but that's okay. At least I'll have half of them in person with me. I think it's the future. Mm-hmm. It also gives them the opportunity that if they're not comfortable or they're sick or something happens, they can hop into the Zoom classroom and join us that way. Yeah. And, you know, we're all still taking the same class. It'll work just fine. Yeah. I'm not too worried about it. If I talk to fewer people in person and more through Zoom, that's fine. It's not a big deal. Technology keeps getting better. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be easier, too, because uh, for the online students, their whole world won't be on Zoom. They're going to be able to go outside and come back and, oh, I sit down for you know an hour and a half for my class rather than I work here. I All of my classes are here. My socialization is here. 
you know, we're all just staring at the screen and you get exhausted. I'm hoping that once that shifts for some people, being in a Zoom classroom will be a little less exhausting. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Yeah. You were talking about technology. Oh, no. Edgar Edgar had showed us like that those rooms have like wireless capability where you can just link your tablet or your phone to the room itself. And now your phone is your camera. And so I don't have to be worried about where the camera's pointing. I can just carry a tablet around and talk to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the class, but I got the tab, you know, and I'm like, oh, I need to get in on that. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Because the old days of me having that dot cam no. underneath my neck where it's just like showing my double chin and I look <laughs> no, man, I never just like a couple camera. hundred pounds larger than I am. I'm not doing that anymore. I never used that camera. What would you use? I would use like the camera in the far, far back Mm. on the wall. I would zoom it out as far as possible. And then I would just walk wall to wall. Okay. So they could see you and the other students. That's all I would do. I wouldn't move it. I wouldn't change it. Mm -hmm. That's what I did. Yeah. It depends on what I'm teaching. Because if I'm doing stats, I got to use stuff that they can see. Right. Right. So we'll see. But that's good to know. Nice. Um, so are you face-to-face in the fall? Yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah, both my classes. What are you teaching? I got uh, a, a rhetoric special topics class on American speeches. I got. Is that new? I've taught it before. Okay. And I've got uh, communication theory, and I've got corporate citizenship, but that one's online. Oh, okay. Is, is that one new? None of them are new? Corporate citizenship's new. I'm teaching that for the first time this semester. It's one of those classes that they want. I'm building it out for scale. So like this semester, it's 25. In the Mm, fall, it'll mm -hmm. be 50. Next spring, it'll be 75. By next fall, it'll be 150, right? Mm -hmm. So you're doing all the videos and stuff now? What? You better believe it. You better believe it. Once that thing is done, we rolling the balls out, all right? Like, I'm going to change the exams, you know, Mm -hmm. as needed or whatever, but yeah. Yeah, that's what I did for my con law one for this summer. I did all the videos in here. Mm. So they're just going to think I still live in here. I mean, for now, I still do, but civil rights and liberties changes a lot. Powers doesn't change all that much, so that's nice. Just a few big updates happens in a year. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm finally to the place where I'm not doing new preps every semester. It is really glorious, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Oh, I landed. It is <sighs> just updating. It's amazing. Yeah, it, it couldn't have happened at a better time for you because you got other stuff to do now. Yeah, I know. For sure. For sure. For sure. Um, oh, I do remember you teaching that speeches class before because you use Barbara Jordan's speech at the DNC, don't you? Uh, yeah, I use that speech for, uh, the rhetorical methods class. Mm, okay. But American speeches is like, if you've taken methods, this is where we go a little bit further. So we take, we take like, you know, stuff from like 1700s when the Puritans are coming over and it's like, Hey, how are we going to do this? Right. And so we, Mm. we chart that all the way from then to like contemporary stuff and, and Mm. see how people met the moment. You know, how did yeah. they meet the moment? What was what were what were those rhetorical situations and how did they respond? 
And how were they received? Yeah. You got any updates from like the Trump era? I haven't used any Trump. Uh, I didn't use, and I think it was intentional. The last time I taught it, he was still president. Mm-hmm. And part of me, I, I wanted to wait to see how it all ended. Like I wanted to know if we were talking about somebody who was reelected for their ideas or somebody who wasn't. I wanted to know how he was going to leave. I wanted to see that all yeah. in one. And so when I look at his stuff, there are speeches that I would definitely use from him. I would definitely use the Mount Rushmore speech from him. I would Ooh, definitely okay. use I would definitely use his inaugural address, the American Carnage speech. I would definitely use that speech. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think. Those two stand out the most to me. Mm-hmm. I would definitely use those. Interesting. But they're not on the syllabi yet. Right, right. Well, I mean, who's who's planning for the fall? We're trying to get through the spring <laughs> and the summer. <laughs> yeah, I think the most the, the most recent speech I teach in that class, or last time I taught it, was a, a more perfect union. That was the last one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Very nice. So as someone who watches cable news, because you do and I don't, back to the vaccine. Sorry, I jumped around a little bit. No, um, this, this, is the Tar- your... this is the Tarantino podcast. Yeah, let's know? go back. Let's take it back. <laughs> Let's go back to the vaccines. How'd we get here? Um, the Johnson and Johnson. What's the coverage around that been? I've seen social media around it. And I have thoughts, but uh, man, the coverage is, Hey, <laughs> nothing to really see here, guys. Like it's only one, it's only one in 1.1 million. And, and it's out Listen. of an abundance of caution y'all. And really mm-hmm. y'all should really be all right with this. And this means the system's really working and they were really on top of this. And they're going to come back online and we're just sad that this is going to poison people's minds around the vaccine in the first place. That, that, that's pretty okay. much where they're Interesting. At. So Twitter is clearly outraged that the CDC did not actually consult with them first <laughs> because, you know, the average person on Twitter read about three to four headlines and has a really dense knowledge to, from which to pull from. And we should probably should have checked in and done some polls first to see if they should have pulled it. Um, that's basically my take. It was just very funny. People, they don't need to do this. I'm like, well, the CDC gets to decide, don't they? <laughs> they didn't ask you, Paul, from <laughs> Connecticut. <laughs> I wonder why they didn't. <laughs> um, but I was laughing about it with Christina because we went from, and it's like, not everyone, but some of the same circles are like, believe science right. to them saying, you know, out of the abundance of caution, we just don't know why these people got it. We need to figure that out. So we're going to halt for about a week to being like, they don't need to do that. Don't believe the scientists. And I, and I understand like wanting to fend off vaccine hesitancy, but to say that it's the wrong call, like, well, let's, I appreciate that. I'm sure that six people appreciate that abundance of caution. Yep. So let's just let them figure out why. And context does matter. Yes, it's like 0.00007% of people. And yes, more women get uh, blood clots from birth control, but that doesn't mean they want it from a vaccine either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I just got an email that there was movement on a bill. Wait, what? We're breaking news, y'all. Well, there won't be news by the time y'all hear it. Uh, sorry, it's a Huffman bill. It's a bad bill for bail reform. Um, 
my my TLO, my Texas legislature online, you can track bills and get alerts when they go through. Mm. So in showing my students how to do that, one of my classes, I, I also signed up for some bills that I wanted to follow. And yeah, that one's not great. Um, Senator Huffman is a state senator in Texas, and she's a former prosecutor. And she I, I don't think there's ever been a bill that she sponsored that I've liked. <laughs> I'll just say it tactfully that way. She's not my favorite lawmaker. And she's making it harder to bail people out, harder to get recognizance bonds, harder for third parties to help people pay their bonds, mm. which is what we're doing in Waco. We're working toward that. So not great. Not surprised, but not great that we're going in the wrong direction there. Mm. Mm. It's a bummer, though, because um, I thought this session was going to be friendly to criminal justice reform and it's been it's kind of been whittled in the other direction little by little along with voting <laughs> oh man <sighs> texas has decided to take up that voting restrictions mantle and i don't even know how they frame it but basically uh, uh, restrictions around existing if you are trans youth um they're doing both of those what's been interesting about those is that uh, there have been companies that have come out and said ahead of time before those bills have passed, hey, if you do this, we take our business elsewhere. And I think that's a little bit new. Normally, it's like Georgia passes a bill, production company leaves. Um, it's so it's like after the fact, when nobody can really do anything about it, except pass another bill, getting rid of it, revoking it. Texas has been put on notice that the NCAA won't be holding championship games in Texas if if they pass this bill. Mm -hmm. um, and other companies have said, don't you pass this voting restriction bills? I don't know if it'll have an impact. If I'm a Texas lawmaker, I don't pass those bills because we are in a budget shortfall, but the Republicans in Texas fall into more than two sects, but two of the sects that they do fall into are fiscally conservative Republicans, kind of more old school moderately social like social moderates and people with just like random mantles that are convinced that if a trans kid is allowed to exist then you know fire and brimstone will take over the state and they're just aggressive it doesn't matter what it costs it doesn't matter who it harms so they take and it's always like a different issue each session but something takes over and those loud voices somehow have some resonance Oh, it's it's not somehow. It, I mean, they they poll too. Uh, my brother, mm. the stockbroker, and he always be like, "Look, man, politics is politics, but if politics makes it onto CNBC, it's real." So when <laughs> those when those when those black CEOs on CNBC talking about Georgia talking trash, like, "Yo, we can't have this." When when Coca Cola's talking about voting restrict, he's like, "Yeah." So that that's like not a small thing, like. That that mm -hmm. that matters like for real for real because it doesn't made it in front of the finance people and 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 in a capitalistic society if it's if it's about that money then it really does matter mm -hmm. and so you know even think about the pandemic like nobody cared about the pandemic till the stock drop still the stock market dipped and then they're like oh this is real and so like these companies and and you're you're 
better versed in this than me. But to me, I look at it and I'm like, okay, companies, you guys wanted to have it both ways. You guys went and told the Supreme mm. Court and Citizens United that, you know, money was speech. And so then you guys went out there and yep. put all your money into politics. And then you tried to like engage with the public because the public was like, okay, y'all are people. So we need you to be reasonable. So you start having ad campaigns like you guys are citizens <laughs> and you guys care yeah. and all this. So when the public holds you accountable and being like, well, you said you're this, but you are down with this. There's this incongruity. You just want to get back to selling product, but you don't want to just sell product. You want to sell mm -hmm. product and give money to every politician there is. You can't do that. And you set yourself up to fail. Yeah. That is discourse mitigating your garbage argument. You asked for this. Mm -hmm. It's called Citizens United. You asked for that madness. This is what you asked for. So now you got to pay. While all that's happening from, you know, the perspective of the company, you also have people like our governor, Greg Abbott, saying uh, companies should keep their noses out of politics. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, what now? Because that seems just a touch circumstantial. That is not what you said last year or even five minutes prior to this. Yeah, it was a little, little hard to hear from you, sir. Incongruity for sure. But no, the, the, the public is hip to the game now. The public knows. And, and, and there, you know, cancel culture is the response to that level of backlash. Because now people mm, are like, I'm coming for your things. I'm coming for your position. I'm coming for your livelihood. I'm coming for your company. I'm coming. Because this company that came out here and said, we're moral, we're responsible, we're about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but right. you over here sponsoring people acting like people can't vote or people can't exist in, a, in, 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 in what's supposed to be a free society. And when the public mm -hmm. is loud enough, spiteful enough, angry enough, vocal enough, has a big enough platform to have your logo next to some stuff you don't want, that mm -hmm. causes angst, strife, and stock prices to go down. And so what do you do in the face of that? Even if you, you don't take want out to. Yeah. A New York Times ad mm -hmm. with hundreds of other companies. Right. And you got to put up. Like, it's like, hey, okay, guys, the, the gig's up. We can't have y'all doing this. We tried to be reasonable. We tried to have arguments. We tried to write laws. We tried to, you know, protest. We tried to lobby. Y'all didn't listen to none of that. Hmm. So we're going to come for your pocket. And now everybody's like, oh, oh, no, you can't come for our pockets. Well, that's the only thing you listen to. That's the only thing you respect. That's the only thing you care about. You're so afraid of it that while you're speaking into a large microphone, you're talking about being canceled. That, that's how furious you are that the, that the public then got wise to your game and are using that stuff against you. Want the capitalism to be able to create efficient systems and use cheap labor, but you don't want it for all of the accountability. Mm hmm I just, I, Rebecca, how can anybody be on a platform that's like, yeah, I'd rather more people not vote? <laughs> You're asking the wrong person because you know I don't know. <laughs> I mean, even if you believe that, you can't say that stuff out loud. Even if you don't think that the bill in Georgia and the bills coming out in Texas are specifically targeted at people of color like even if you think that they're colorblind and they're just you know restrictions you still would be taking the position that you want fewer people to vote mm -hmm. 
I mean, this is what's so insidious about what Trump was saying. I, I, I didn't say I didn't feel like he was ever saying I got more votes than Joe Biden. That's not the argument I feel like he was making. I felt like he was saying my 74 million votes are the ones that matter. And mm-hmm. his 83 or however many million votes got a whole bunch of votes in it that don't. And when you add up the votes of the people that actually pay taxes and own homes and blah, whatever kind of bull he talking about, he's like, I won those votes. That's what he's saying. And so it's like, wait a minute. So are we in a free society and a representative democracy, one person, one vote, or aren't we? If we want to mm-hmm. codify and say, hey, listen, you need to have a certain level of education. You need to have, be in a certain type of tax bracket. You need to pay to, to vote. Okay, let's, let's, let's see. But that's not what we said we are. But that's what they trying. It's like it used to just we used to say the words and it used to just be that by virtue of who was allowed to come around. Mm-hmm. But now, anytime there's a spike, it's like, oh, man, we can't man, see. We let all these people vote. See, stuff don't be turning out right when we let the people vote. They don't know what's best for them. And even though, like, we know who they're intending to target here, right? Oh, young people and black people specifically in urban areas and that vote Democrat like and and it's pretty apparent when you say things like you can only have one drop-off location for ballots in you know Harris County the same as McLennan the the same as a place with 400 people <laughs> um so it's like we know who they're targeting but when you do that guess what rural communities are screwed too because then someone might have to drive two hours to go vote mm-hmm or to drop off their mail-in ballot. Um, And then when you're targeting people who were utilizing mail-in voting and making it harder, yes, you're capturing students, but you're also capturing elderly folks that rely on mail-in voting more than any other demographic. So even though I think the intention is pretty skeezy, um, that's obviously a very technical assessment, (laughs) it doesn't mean it won't backfire. Because the people that are capable of saying, you know what, screw this, I'm showing up because you're not, you know, you're not taking this away from me, might not be the people they think it'll be. And they might actually disenfranchise uh, folks that would have voted Republican. So time will tell. They walking around dead and don't even know it. (laughs) Like you, you passing, you passing laws and bills to try to stop something that's already baked in. Yeah. It don't it, it I I mean I don't know if it's going to flip in my lifetime. It's gonna in my kids. Like it's just yeah. the way that it is. The country is what it is. People are growing up with different ideas, right? Like and that's when a party changes their ideas, changes no, no, their position, focuses differently. They don't have no they ideas. They don't just say, "Well, let's just get rid of But the they don't have no ideas. Yeah. The, their only idea is, "Well, what do they want?" Our ideas were against that. Well, what are you for? Whatever, whatever is against that. And what mm-hmm. that means, it, what it ends up meaning is we're for having things stay the same. But the same ain't working. Right. The same doesn't work right. for anybody right now. Saying let's stay the course has never won an election. People don't like that. Because mm. even if it was better than something before comparatively, that, that's, that's not a compelling argument. Are, are, don't you want me to continue to not solve your problems? Even if I solved a few of them, we'll just keep doing this. Are you familiar with a sociologist named uh, Tressie McMillan Cottom? Mm, I've seen the name. 
she she wrote this she wrote this great book uh thick and uh she, oh yes yes okay. yes yes uh-huh so like she's written a ton of other stuff but she was on uh she was on ezra klein's show the other day and ezra was asking her about like how come she always starts her her ideas and stuff and it comes back to this idea of how come how come it was me and not my grandmother and hmm. you know she's just saying it's like my grandma was great in school very well read very curious but you know all that was afforded to her was to be a domestic worker like she should be a professor she should be doing this stuff that i'm doing but couldn't nobody imagine that for her in her hmm. space and time and she's like mm-hmm. i remind myself all the time my success is dependent on how other people perceive me. I am not in control. I could do everything right and it not work out. And I, right. I'm comfortable with that. I live in that space. I know what that's like. That's been my whole history. She's like, the difference in America is plenty of people are feeling the truth of, I did everything I was supposed to do and it didn't work out. That's not white people's story and hasn't been for ages. But now, because of right. the competition that is a global economy, it's like, you could... Do everything you're supposed to do and be screwed in the game. Mm -hmm. And as that's happening, it's creating this idea of, well, status quo ain't enough because you told me what to do. I did it and I'm screwed. What am I supposed to do with that? Maybe these minorities minorities are onto something Mm -hmm. in terms of immigrants must be those immigrants. Mm -hmm. What's a simp? It's we've talked about that before, too. It's like a simple solution to a complex problem. Rather than trying to wrap your head around like, hey, maybe because we live in a system of capitalism without legislated human rights <laughs> baked into it, a lot of these problems are going to continue to exist. Um, and as we get more equitable, it's going to affect you too, because other people also get a shot and there are only a few shots based on the system we have. It's easier to say, it's probably those people at the border. You should be afraid of them. Plus, both parties use fear, but one party uses a little bit more, in my opinion. Or at least a different angle on it. Yeah, I'm with you on the angle. I think fear's big. Both, yeah, fear's big. It's just fear of what? True. Did it, is, is that the same author who wrote Lower Ed? Um, Is that about uh, for-profit? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's her. The for-profit culture. Okay, yeah. yeah sociologists they're really they're really good at predicting the future (laughs) a lot better than historians you know (laughs) oddly enough they like they bring it all together and they're like this is what's gonna happen Mm. and then it does Mm. (laughs) oh man i guess to finish on a a happy note have you watched anything good lately yes uh there's a series well, it's 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 probably older, but HBO Max got the rights to it. Uh, it's an Italian crime show called Gamora. It's oh. it's wonderful. I haven't watched I mean, Gamora. They have it dubbed in English, so you can go Bruce Lee kung fu flick with it. But I prefer just just turn the subtitles on, watch it in Italian. It's amazing. It's amazing. Cool. Okay, Gamora. I watched. Speaking of subtitles, uh, Invisible City. That's on Netflix. And it's a Brazilian production set in Lapa, which is fun because I've been to those bars oh. back when oh. I could hang, when people went out at 11 p.m. Can you even imagine? No. Um, no <laughs> I can't way. imagine. I'm like, how did I do that? I don't understand it. Um, 
but it's uh it's based around brazilian folklore and so you meet these different characters and i didn't know anything about brazilian folklore and it's all kind of rooted in like nature and animals which is kind of cool on like some of ours so i learned about that side of it but it's it's a cool story and made for love that's on hbo max made for love speaking of chips um it is a story where the head of gogol they didn't take (laughs) they didn't try too hard there gogol hint hint wink wink lives in this cube with his wife and he implants her brain with a chip so that he can see everything she sees and thinks and feels okay and of course she doesn't feel great about that (laughs) of course so it's her escaping and like trying to get away from him and like get divorced and come out on top but he can see everything she sees so nah i'm good i'm good (laughs) it's a dark comedy ish like it's outrageous but it's interesting I, i i watched a beautiful art documentary called made you look on netflix Hmm. about a con an art an art fraud i've seen i haven't watched it i've seen that pop up love it suggestion love it yeah we watched the QAnon documentary series as well two episodes of that i like it yeah yeah it's interesting but i like it i was kind of bummed that it wasn't like about all the people who grabbed onto it Mm. And it's more about these are the people that are hosting these networks that QAnon was allowed to like live on and fester. And so, but it's, it's cool from a story, storytelling perspective because we're with them for the right. entirety going to up to and beyond after the um, January 6th. Yeah. So, yeah. And they talk about like the El Paso shooting. So it's, it's interesting. It's not what I expected it to be, but I like it. Um, I'm going to finish that one. Well, on that note, Anthony, what is the quote of the week? Uh, the quote of the week comes from Marilyn Robinson's novel, Gilead. Oh, you just had Gilead on the shelf. I'm reading it. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Here, here's a couple lines. This morning, I've been trying to think about heaven, but without much success. I don't know why I should expect to have any idea of heaven. I could never have imagined this world if I hadn't spent almost eight decades walking around in it. People talk about how wonderful the world seems to children, and that's true enough. But children think they will grow into it and understand it, and I know very well that I will not, and I would not, if I had a dozen lives. Nice. This has been This Is For The CV. Thanks for listening, Mom. This Is For The CV is a Larson and Lestrat production. Editing done by Rebecca Larson. Music performed by Issa Black. Thanks, man.